0: Welcome back to Kind of Cute, and if you're new here, welcome. My name's Bailey Evan. I'm your host. On Kind of Cute, we discuss articles from The Cut and my general pop culture musings. Who y'all. I had the funnest, dooziest of a weekend this past weekend. I just want to give you guys a little quick recap so i went to new york and it was just as usual such a whirlwind i only saw lena because we had like such a packed schedule going on and i'm partially recapping this weekend for you guys because it all feels very pop culture adjacent so we went to a hoodie allen concert he is so fun i've been a fan of hoodie allen for 10 years now which is shocking because i became a fan of him in law school and the fact that i was a one-on law school 10 years ago Woof. Uh, and he you probably heard his songs. You probably heard like No Interruption. I feel like that's his biggest hit. He's a little Jewish white boy rapper. He went to Penn. His real name Stephen Steven Markowitz. But I'm telling you, he has got some jams, especially like his early stuff. Ugh, it never gets old to me. And then we somehow the next night like finagled our way into going to Harry Styles. And, you know, originally when I bought my Hoodie Allen tickets, it was a little strategic because I was like, I know Harry Styles is doing his Madison Square Garden residency at the same time, but I had failed so hard on getting tickets. And I was like, I just had faith in the universe that it was somehow going to happen for us day (laughs) of. Or, like, when I got to New York. But I've become very adamant about not buying resale tickets above face value. Like, I just, I hate Ticketmaster. I mean, it's a love hate relationship. And I was just determined to get face value tickets. And Elena and I go literally to Madison Square Garden. So we're like, maybe we can just get lucky at the box office. And We did not get lucky at the box office, but I was like, let's just wait it out. I feel like they're going to release more tickets. In the meantime, let's just refresh Ticketmaster while we're here. And by some miracle of miracle, the Harry Styles gods smiling down upon us. Elena secures tickets while we are in the middle of Madison Square Garden. Literally, like we are standing by the box office. There's a merch stand there. The amount of merch Harry Styles concert goers buy is something that you cannot even fathom. These lines are like 200 people deep and there's multiple merch stands. I mean, luckily the bar lines are like non-existent. So I was able to get my watermelon coolers really quick, which were delicious, you know, and on theme obviously. But again, just the chaos. You know how like when you're at a big crowded concert venue, you feel like your phone just doesn't even work. It's so clogged up because of everyone using their phones all at once. I mean, the fact that we were somehow able to score face value tickets eight rows up was just legitimately incredible. Like it felt just like a universe smiling moment, especially because leading up to this day, there had been so many cherry signals. Like we were just like seeing cherries everywhere. And you know, I, again, I believe in synchronicity. I believe in signals. Okay. Signs. And then Harry Styles comes out and he's wearing a denim vest, chest completely open. Denim bell bottoms with sambas, Adidas sambas, bedazzled stars all over and on the back bedazzled cherries. And it just felt so full circle. And it was so cool because on top of that, we were seated next to these ladies who were so fun. They were in their 60s. One of them literally knew one of Harry Styles managers. So they had got these comp tickets right next to us. And The craziest part of all is that the reason these two women knew each other is because their two daughters were dating and their two daughters met at Dartmouth, which is where Elena and I met. So it just felt like the most full circle cute moment, had a great time. Harry always puts on a great show. He's truly a rock star. I mean, he gets out there, he sings, he dances his little heart out, seeing music for a sushi restaurant live. Oh my God. It was just a next level moment. And then to cap it all off, we arrive home to the news of Midnight's by Taylor Swift dropping. I mean, it was it was more than my pop culture heart could handle. I was just exploding with happiness. I could barely go asleep to sleep that night and I had to wake up at like 4.45 the next morning to catch my flight back to Florida. So suffice to say, recovering this week was sort of a lot uh you know like when you just come back from a trip you have like the post-trip sadness you have the post-concert sadness and I had that times too with Hoodie and Harry and I was just exhausted and hung over and beat up by how much we walked around the city I think I pulled something like in my foot I I was limping home poor Elena she's like speed walking home from Madison Square Garden I am literally limping my way I'm like I need to stop for a water <laughs> It was just kind of sad. Uh, And speaking of like the VMAs, which is where Taylor Swift announced her new album coming out, that's also where we saw that Young Gravy and Addison Ray's mom showed up to the VMAs together. Obviously, this is a complete press move. But I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if they were actually hooking up in real life after this because I saw some TikToks about people who were at the VMAs saying they were all like cuddly with each other even when the cameras weren't on them. And I am a big Young Gravy fan. I literally think I mentioned this like in my last podcast. I love his songs, unironically. I think they're so fun. There's something about a completely unaware white boy SoundCloud rapper that just tickles my brain. Clearly, I was just at the Hoodie Allen concert. They're very much in the same vein. It's giving giving something, you know? (laughs) uh, I think it was a great press move for him because I think there's a lot of people who are completely unaware of him, maybe beyond his TikTok sounds that go viral. So him doing this press stunt on the tales of Addison breaking up with, uh, I'm sorry, Addison's mom breaking up with her husband because he was cheating on her with a 25-year-old. Young Gravy notoriously sings about MILFs. That's like his thing. So again, honestly, as far as press moves go, I think it made a lot of sense. And who knows, maybe this is the beginning of a beautiful relationship for Addison and Young Gravy. I'm sorry, Addison's mom. Okay, a little bit of a non sequitur, but extending my very filled week of pop culture love. On Wednesday, I went to Brittany Broski's show. She was doing one in West Palm. It was like the second stop of her tour uh, of her podcast, Violating Community Guidelines. She does it with Sarah Schauer. And it was so fun. I mean, it was kind of a shit show. It actually made me feel a little bit better about the organization of my podcast. Because A, when they do theirs, they have this guy, Stanley, who does all of their research for them and just kind of like gives it to them in a Google Doc. And I feel like when they're up there doing their podcast, it's kind of their first time seeing it. And I'm like, wow, what a luxury. I mean, by the time I'm talking to you guys about an article, I've read it at least two times. And usually I'm on my third time as I'm telling you guys about it. And then on top of that, I've read, you know, 15 plus other articles that I've decided to scrap and not use. Not saying that, like, this is a huge burden and a lot of work. I'm just saying it's interesting to see people's kind of creative process because this was very unedited as they were doing this sort of live podcast I don't think it'll actually be like posted on their feed as a podcast but it was done in that same format like they had their laptops they had their mics and they had their outline and it was it was fascinating a little peek behind the curtain Brittany Broski is so funny she's such a huge Harry Styles fan she was at one of his Madison Square Garden shows last night again I just love a full circle moment how many times can I say it on here I feel like I need merch that says love's a full circle moment. Okay, and sort of piggybacking off this whole New York theme, the kind of alerted me that there will be a Dime Square reality show on Freeform, but also streaming on Hulu. It's coming out soon. It's coming out this month. And if you don't know Dime Square, it's sort of this constructed area of downtown New York um, where people go to like Lucien, and Clandesino, Ledef, like, Which are all bars that can sort of be described as places that your B-side celebrity would have a birthday party. Like Julia Fox has had her birthday party at one of those. And it's very much like the cool kids or the people who think they are the cool kids, the perpetually online types who also shop at like the very cool New York stores and buy a shirt for $500, but looks like it's been through the ringer and could have been bought at a thrift store. Actually, what am I saying? The best way to describe this is the place that Caroline Calloway and Caroline Calloway types frequent. There you go. That's all you need to know. So the reality show is following this group of young Gen Z people. It's a very diverse cast. I believe there's two trans people, there's a gay man, a lot of queer representation, and I believe there's only one white person maybe two. Uh, But yeah, very diverse all around, I would say. And you know, the trailer is very atmospheric, just them in the city, like in cabs, sweeping shots of them trying to make it, them working their way up, wanting to be on the cover of Vogue. Obviously, there's a shot of Evan Mock from the new Gossip Girl reboot, who I feel like is sort of the poster boy for Dime Square. And someone commented on the Cut article, is this like the 2022 version of Gallery Girls R.I.P.? And if you have not seen Gallery Girls, it was a show on Bravo, and I feel like it is so true that this is kind of the modern day equivalent of that type of person. And I was obsessed with that show. I mean, it was full of just like nepotism babies, like opening art galleries, so full of themselves, but I could not look away. It it did not survive long enough because it was masterful reality TV. So I am hoping that this can somewhat follow and Gallery Girl's footsteps. You can guarantee I will be tuning in, and I do think Freeform does a pretty good job with reality shows, and I have not seen one in a while, so I am very pumped. Y'all, the next story is one I'm just ashamed I did not talk about in my last podcast. I completely forgot. I had it screenshot and just whoop right over my head, but on Rachel Bilson's a podcast called Broad Ideas, she had on Tommy Dorfman as a guest, which is also funny because the cut just did a profile on Tommy, and I almost included that as an article. It is very interesting if you want to go read it, not covering it today, but had to insert this. So Rachel has Tommy on her podcast, and Tommy asks Rachel what she missed most about Bill Hader. And she, Rachel, dated Bill Hader for less than a year, apparently from like the fall of 2019 to the summer of 2020. And it was kind of an under the radar relationship, but I was very intrigued by it. And I think Bill Hader is such a little cutie. I really love this. I was rooting for this relationship. But when she's asked what she missed most about Bill Hader, she just responds, his big dick. And then she says, We can keep that and cut. Let's move on. I mean, what a queen. It's such a Summer Roberts comment. <laughs> oh God, I love it so much. And thank God people are willing to leave stuff in on podcasts that I don't think they would leave on if it wasn't in that sort of intimate feeling you get when you're recording a podcast. In sad news, Barbie Ferreira, who played Cat on the show Euphoria, Such a great character. I found her enthralling to watch. She announced that she will not be returning to the next season of Euphoria. And to me, this gives complete credence to the rumors that she had beef with Sam Levinson, the director of Euphoria. I've talked on here multiple times about how I think Sam Levinson is a certified creep. And I think as years progress, we're going to hear even more coming out about how he maybe didn't protect his actors and actresses in the best way on set. And... I couldn't help but drawing a connection to this and the don't worry drama that we are about to talk about. I think it shows what a crucial piece of the puzzle the director is in regulating emotions on set and feelings. And they can't just disconnect from that and purely make a movie or a TV show And Sam has quoted in the past as saying why he liked having intimacy coordinators on set, which is great. We love intimacy coordinators. That's so needed, especially on a show like Euphoria, where you have a lot of nudity and stimulated sex scenes. Uh, He said, you know, he likes having them on set. He's like, oh, it makes it so I don't have to worry about that element of it. But I think, again, I have no leg to stand on in saying this just from reading a lot of stuff about sets. I think you can't as a director just disconnect from that because you're just this emotional kind of centerpiece of the whole set and everything that's going on. Like you are literally directing these people on how to act. So delegating something like that as part of your job, while I think you you have to delegate it to a certain extent, but I don't think you can completely separate yourself from it. And I think that is a perfect segue into the Don't Worry Darling drama. So let's get into our first article of the day. All right, obviously, last week we spoke about Florence Pugh's article, we spoke about Harry Styles' article in Rolling Stone. So now we have a variety article from Olivia Wilde. And the title of this is Olivia's Wild Ride Directing Don't Worry, Darling, Making Harry Styles a Movie Star and Being Blown the F Away by Florence Pugh. It's by Elizabeth Wagmeister. And sadly, this article came out literally right after I recorded my last podcast. I would have loved to kind of tie it in with the two perspectives we got from Flo and Harry, but hopefully you've listened to that and this will all sort of fit in perfectly. And as a little refresher, there's been a ton of rumors circulating around this movie and most notably about some alleged beef between Florence Pugh, the lead in this movie, and Olivia Wilde. And the reason people think there has been strife is because Florence has not really posted much about this movie coming out. doesn't really address Olivia Wilde's comments that are directly directed at her. She did not comment in this piece with Olivia. So it just seems a little one-sided because you see Olivia gushing about Flo kind of seeming to do damage control. And then on the other side, you have Flo just kind of keeping her head above it all, staying silent. I think she's making 100% the right move doing that. I think most people are in Florence's corner when it comes to this. And I also think it's always worth acknowledging that all of this is serving to just give more hype around this movie. So really no one's damaged here because... I think it's ultimately just going to make them more money. But that's a little flippant to say because obviously there's a lot going on here with everything with Shia LaBeouf that we're about to get into. So just strap in. But I want to start off with some of the comments that Olivia made in this Variety article. I thought her comments about Jason were particularly brutal. We've talked about this multiple times, how Olivia was served at Comic-Con while she was on stage talking about Don't Worry Darling. She says... In regards to that, it was my workplace. In any other workplace, it would be seen as an attack. It was really upsetting. It shouldn't have been able to happen. There was a huge breach in security, which is really scary. The hurdles that you had to jump through to get into the room was several badges plus special COVID tests that had to be taken days in advance, which gave you wristbands that were necessary to gain access to the event. This was something that required forethought. I hated that this nastiness distracted from the work of so many different people in the studio that I was up there representing. To try to sabotage that was really vicious, but I had a job to do. I'm not easily distracted. But, you know, sadly, it was not something that was entirely surprising to me. I mean, there's a reason I left that relationship. Okay, a couple things to unpack here. It's really wrong to say in any other workplace it would be seen as an attack. People are served at their place of work all the time. I fully understand that in Olivia's situation, this was completely different. She was on stage, she was in public. Usually when you see people being served at work, it's in the atmosphere of them being in it like an office job, and it's provided to them in that manner. But it is not out of the question to serve someone at their place of work. It's quite normal. Then the comment of her saying, There's a reason I left that relationship, I was like, Ooh, that is a really big dig to Jason Sudeikis, something that we don't often see in press pieces. People just publicly kind of ragging on their ex in that way so you can tell olivia is like mad mad and she's gonna take jason down with her in this and she goes on to say the only people who suffered were my kids because they'll have to see that and they shouldn't ever have to know that happened for me it was appalling but the victims were an eight and five year old and that's really sad i chose to become an actress i willingly walked into the spotlight but it's not something my children have asked for and when my kids are dragged into it it's deeply painful valid. I think we never want kids getting the fallout from situations like this and being thrust into the public eye when they didn't ask for it. But (laughs) when we get to Shia's response, sorry, I'm skipping ahead a little bit here, but Shia ultimately responds to some comments that Olivia has been making. And he makes a very poignant point about how his children will be able to read the comments Olivia makes one day. And I was just like, Oh damn, he really turned this narrative on its head. Okay. So the next thing is that there, it says quote in the article Pew who declined to be interviewed for this story. Her publicist said she's filming Dune part two in Budapest. So again, this is just a classic redirection. Pew, Florence could have commented on this article, even though she's filming Dune. Like I have no doubt she could have got on a five minute phone call and given a quote This was a conscious decision not to give a quote for this article. And I love that her publicist saying she's filming Dune is, again, to just sort of redirect from this being drama and just be like, no, she's a working actress. She's doing her job and she doesn't need to be part of this media circus. So then the article goes in a little bit more in depth about other rumors surrounding all of this. It says the internet theorizing has run rampant and page six ran an anonymously sourced story claiming that Pew was unhappy about Wilde and Styles' relationship. Then came a report that Styles was being paid more than three times the amount Pew was getting paid. Wilde denies that, saying in an email later, there's been a lot out there that I largely don't pay attention to, but the absurdity of invented clickbait and subsequent reaction regarding a non-existent pay disparity between our lead and supporting actors really upset me. I'm a woman who has been in this business for over 20 years and it's something that I have fought for myself and others, especially being a director. There's absolutely no validity to those claims. And I hope to God Florence is making more than Harry for multiple reasons, mainly that Florence is a Oscar nominated actress, very respected in the industry as far as I can tell. And Harry, love him. This is his really first big acting role. You know, obviously he's done bit parts in Dunkirk. He did his little thing in Marvel, which I'm sure he will be a bigger part of in the future. But this is his first sort of major supporting slash leading role. So again, I just hope to God that Florence was not only paid less, but paid more than Harry for this. Okay, so now to get into the Shia LaBeouf part of this story. You might be aware that Shia LaBeouf was originally supposed to play the part that Harry Styles played. Now, Olivia in this article is saying her first pick was actually Harry, but due to his touring schedule, then she switched to Shia, and then when she fired him, she switched back to Harry Styles. Uh, And she was, you know, very excited to get Harry. And by my recollection, there's been a lot of insinuation that she did fire Shia LaBeouf, you know, her whole no assholes on set mantra that I've talked about on here before. I know I've even reported on here before that she had fired Shia. I thought that was the narrative that was already out there. And she confirms that in this article. It says, in 2020, as production was just starting, Wilde made the decision to fire LaBeouf. The studio cited a scheduling conflict. Now, for the first time, Wilde speaks about the situation. I say this as someone who's such an admirer of his work. His process was not conducive to the ethos that I demand in my productions. He has a process that in some ways seems to require a combative energy, and I don't personally believe that is conducive to the best performances. I believe that creating a safe, trusting environment is the best way to get people to do their best work. Ultimately, my responsibility is to the production and to the cast to protect them. That was my job. And, as you probably have also heard, a few months after Shia exited, don't worry, darling, his co-star and ex-girlfriend, FK Twiggs sued him for sexual battery. That case is going to trial in April of 2023, as of now, and right after that, Shia split from his agency, and he entered an inpatient facility. So Olivia goes on to say, A lot came to light after this happened that really troubled me in terms of his behavior. I find myself just really wishing him health and evolution because I believe in restorative justice. But for our film, what we really needed was an energy that was incredibly supportive. Particularly with a movie like this, I knew that I was going to be asking Florence to be in very vulnerable situations, and my priority was making her feel safe and making her feel supported. And before we get to Shia's response, I just want to talk about this last little quote that the article ends with, talking about her potentially directing a Marvel movie. And she says, I will say that I think the Marvel approach of allowing newer filmmakers to come into the fold and have access to those tools of the Marvel universe is incredibly exciting. I'm a big fan of what they're doing over there. But yeah, I can't confirm whether that is what that is. With a sly smile, she blurts out, but that would be cool. To me, this confirms that Olivia is going to be directing some sort of Marvel piece Oh my god, if it's the arrow swan with Harry, like bless her, I'm so jealous of this woman. <laughs> so she's just making bangs. She is writing those checks. And let's get to Shia's response. And again, I'm sorry if you are very into this drama and you've already heard everything about it. But this to me is such a pivotal moment. It like just it had to be spoken about on this podcast. Like if I didn't speak about it, I just wouldn't be doing my job. But before we get into Shia's response, I just saw this meme that Not All Geminis posted. If you don't follow them on Instagram, they're so funny. And it's a picture of like a spirit leaving a girl's body who's lying on the ground. And the caption says, the feminism leaving my body when it's time to pit Olivia Wilde against Florence Pugh, having never met either of them. So I realized the complete hypocrisy of me you know, addressing any of this. And I, I never want to pit women against each other. But again, I just think there's so much to unpack in all of this. So Shia responds to Olivia's piece, and it says Shia LaBeouf denies he was fired from Olivia Wilde's Don't Worry, Darling, and says, I quit your film by Jordan Moreau and Elise Schaefer. And this also appeared in Variety. And Shia's team declined uh, to comment on the original Variety article, but clearly that turned when they saw what Olivia ended up saying, because He sent emails to Variety denying that he was fired and saying that he quit the film due to lack of rehearsal time on August 17th, 2020. Can I say – I mean, I try to talk the big talk like I know shit that's going on. I fully did not realize that actors rehearse movies. Like, I know obviously actors rehearse for plays and whatever because that's live. I kind of just thought when actors are doing a movie – I knew they had to rehearse for certain things that required like choreography, like a fight scene or, you know, obviously if you're in a Marvel movie, that's being rehearsed, but I didn't think they had to rehearse like the actual scenes and maybe they don't. Maybe I'm I'm misinterpreting this, but again, that was sort of a wake up call to me. I was like, girl, you don't know what the fuck goes on on a movie set. So after the article, Shia emails Olivia, in part saying, you and I both know the reasons for my exit. I quit your film because your actors and I couldn't find time to rehearse. So at the same time, Shia's team releases a video that Olivia sent Shia when he was quitting the film. And it's a video of her saying, I want to just insert the audio, but then I got kind of paranoid about like a copyright claim on it. So I am just going to read you what, she says, it says, I feel like I'm not ready to give up on this yet. And I too am heartbroken and I want to figure this out. You know, I think this might be a bit of a wake up call from his flow. And I want to know if you're open to giving this a shot with me, with us. If she really commits, if she really puts her mind and heart into it at this point, And if you guys can make peace and I respect your point of view, I respect hers. But if you guys can do it, what do you think? Is there hope? Will you let me know? In the beginning, she's like, I'm just like so sweaty. I was just riding horses. It kind of seems like she's driving like, the car. I don't really know how she's filming this video. Um, but damn, I mean, does this sort of just, to me, confirm everything as far as there being actual strife between Florence and Olivia? Because if there wasn't before, I can't imagine that Flo felt good when this came up. I mean, calling her, saying there might be a bit of a wake-up call for Miss Flo, Ugh, that just does not read well. And then saying if she really commits, if she puts her mind and heart to it, into it, that does not sound supportive of Flo. That sounds pretty dismissive, and it sounds like maybe you're putting Shia above her. And I know when you're trying to persuade someone to do something, which clearly Olivia is doing in this clip, she's clearly trying to side with Shia, make him feel heard. But Miss Girl, I mean... Again, I I know as a lawyer, I probably just overthink things like this. If you don't want shit to get out, do not put it in writing and do not put it in a video. I mean, come on, it's like the most elementary thing. You don't need to be a lawyer to know that. But I think it bears reminding and no one is above their shit getting leaked, okay? And if you just say something on a phone call, yeah, can that be recorded too? Sure. But at least in Florida, I know that that's illegal for them to record something without my permission, so I feel a little comforted about it. Putting it – having your face on video saying something is just very damning because there is no confusion over what you're saying. There's no confusion about the tone you're using, and it's out there, and it's out there forever. So I think there was just a complete lack of foresight with Olivia sending that, especially – I know at the time, she didn't know the shitstorm that was going to follow, but it's just – it's just unprofessional, honestly. And then we get to see the whole Olivia email that Shia sent. And let me start by saying I am not a Shia apologist. I think the stuff he's done is a vile, shitty. I think he should have been fired from this movie if it had already started filming when the FK Twig stuff came out. But I was actually kind of blown away by his email. I thought it was very well-written and poignant. Um as an agnostic person it was very uh godly in a way i don't understand but i thought he really hit home with his points and he says you know olivia i hope this finds you inspired purposeful fulfilled and well i pray every night that you and your family have health happiness and everything god would give me no joke every night before i sleep he talks about how he has a little girl that she's 5 months old He has this daughter with Mia Goth, who he calls his wife. I don't believe that was known to the public at this time. But he says, you know, they're in a healthy mutual respect relationship. He explains that he's now 627 days sober. He's working on his moral compass. And he says that he even reached out to Olivia a few months ago to make amends. And I guess that didn't happen because he says, I still pray one day you can find space in your heart to forgive me for the failed collaboration we shared. He then goes on to explain that what inspired the email is the latest Variety story and that he's honored by the words on his work and he thanks her for that and that it felt good to read, but that he is a little confused about the narrative that he was fired. He says, you and I both know the reasons for my exit. I quit your film because your actors and I couldn't find time to rehearse. I have included as a reminder the screenshots of our text exchange on that day. He says, I know you're beginning your press run for Don't Worry Darling and that the news of my firing is attractive clickbait. As I am still persona non grata and may remain as such for the rest of my life. But speaking of my daughter, I often think about the news articles she will read when she is literate. And though I owe and will owe for the rest of my life, I only owe for my actions. So there we go. That's what I was talking about earlier about the comments about Jason and how that was going to be public and her children were going to see that. I thought he made a really good point that like he now has children that can see what is written about him. He says my failings with twigs are fundamental and real, but they are not the narrative that has been presented. There is a time and a place to deal with such things, and I'm trying to navigate a nuanced situation with respect for her and the truth, hence my silence. But this situation with your film and my, quote, firing will never have a court date with which to deal with the facts. If lies are repeated enough in the public, they become truth, and so it makes it that much harder for me to crawl out of the hole I have dug with my behaviors to be able to provide for my family. Firing me never took place, Olivia. And while I fully understand the attractiveness of pushing that story because of the current social landscape, the social currency that it brings, it's not the truth. So I'm humbly asking as a person with an eye toward making things right that you correct the narrative as best you can. I hope none of this negatively affects you and that your film is successful in all the ways you want it to be. Well, I think we can say that this is negatively affecting Olivia. It's not portraying her in the best light. Can I also say she was also pictured the other... (laughs) Dick wearing a shirt that said flop on it <laughs> but it was spelled like f-l-o-p-p and it had a picture of like um marshmallow fluff on it and then she was wearing a, sh- a hat from uh pickles bookstore which harry was seen there multiple fans saw him there so i was like wow she's really she's taking some sort of stance on this and she didn't quote for this article i think i already mentioned that but again i'm not siding with shia here but And I think, you know, in Olivia's mind, she might feel that he really was fired from this. Like, it sounds like it was creative differences. In her mind, she might have felt like, you know, I was the ultimate one who made a say that this wasn't going to work out and it wasn't going to move forward. But clearly, Shia very much feels like he quit. And who knows? This is such a thing that's a he said, she said situation. We're never going to really know the truth of what would actually happen because – memory is skewed reality is skewed reality's perception but i think as far as if we want to talk about quote receipts i mean we haven't seen a situation like this in a while where a celebrity has like released emails video text to kind of back up their point usually things just get swept under the rug so i think as far as news stories go the press cycle this is kind of unprecedented in a lot of ways or at least in the recent past that i haven't seen something like this happen Okay, moving on to someone else who hasn't exactly looked good in the public eye. And again, I'm sorry, we don't have a ton of cut articles today. We only have one, but there was just too much juice otherwise I had to cover. And this is Leah Michelle is well aware that the pressure is on. And I sort of read this article as an attempt of Leah Michelle to create almost a villain origin story, similar to the way that Disney tries to humanize its villains, like by giving Maleficent a backstory. And not trying to say that leah michelle is a full villain but she has definitely not got five-star reviews from many of her previous co-stars and this was the cuts description of the times article it says in a new profile the new york times michelle who takes the stage this month somehow squirts around all of this but she does manage to make one thing clear she has senior jokes and yes she can read and if you don't know anything about leah michelle she played rachel barry on the show glee Rachel in the show is a high school student. She's obsessed with the play Funny Girl, the movie Funny Girl. It stars Barbra Streisand, and she dreams of being on Broadway. And in the show, she succeeds in that dream. She goes off. She lives in New York. She gets cast in the Funny Girl revival on Broadway. And in real life, Leah Michelle started her career in Broadway. She was in Les Mis when she was really young. She got the role in Spring Awakening, also, when she was young, and that's what she got a ton of acclaim for and sort of came into the public eye. But that was before she went on to play Rachel Barry. And the twist here is that one day Leah Michelle, the real life girl, was really sad over a boy at Spring Awakening. And the director of the show told her to watch Funny Girl, and she became obsessed with funny girl. So are we seeing the parallels here between Glee, Rachel and real life Leah? I mean, if you are a fan of Glee, you have probably already seen that, but I think kind of unpacking all these details. Like I didn't know the fact that her spring awakening director had told her to watch funny girl. So fast forward, a revival of funny girl happens, but Beanie Feldstein is cast as Fanny Bryce, the lead role instead of Leah Michelle. And there was a lot of hubbub over that. And then Beanie didn't get the greatest reviews. And then she left the production early, uh, didn't really cite a reason, but I think the general consensus was because she was not doing up to like her standards uh, in the production. So that obviously left the spot open for Leah to come in. Now, this is another interesting tidbit. Jane Lynch, who played Sue Sylvester on Glee, like one of the lead roles on Glee, was playing Fanny Bryce's mother in the Broadway show. So she was playing Feenie Feenie Beanie Feldstein's character's mother in the Broadway show. And Jane Lynch was supposed to leave in September, but she also left the show early, meaning that her and Leah would never overlap in their performances. And obviously this could be a coincidence, but it could also mean that maybe Jane Lynch really did not want to work with Leah. So let's discuss some quotes from Leah where she, in my view, is trying to do some damage control. She says, I really understand the importance and value now of being a leader. It means not only going and doing a good job when the camera's rolling, but also when it's not. And that wasn't always the most important thing for me. She says, I have an edge to me. I work really hard. I leave no room for mistakes. That level of perfectionism or that pressure of perfectionism left me with a lot of blind spots. And she traces that to her days as a child actress on Broadway when she was expected to perform at this very high level, which she says put her in a, quote, semi-robotic state. Now, a lot of people are like come on, like, you've been accused of not only, like, racist microaggressions, but generally just being kind of a terrible person on set. And you describing yourself as, like, now understanding the importance of being a leader and, you know, oh, you just have perfectionism really is not an excuse for your behavior. But, you know, go off, sis. I was also literally howling at this quote from Jonathan Groff. So Jonathan Groff originated the role across from Leah in Spring Awakening or alongside her. And then he also went on to be in Glee. And from what I can tell, they have a pretty amicable relationship. They just did a little performance together doing a song of Spring Awakening. They seem to be friends. And he was one of the few people who agreed to give quotes for this article. But please just listen to this. It says, Groff recalled that at Michelle's wedding, Ryan Murphy – and now remember, Ryan Murphy is the creator of Glee, American Horror Story, yada yada, Scream Queens, which Leah Michelle was also in, he apparently officiated the wedding, and he told a story about his first dinner with Leah Michelle and her husband as a couple. And according to Jonathan Groff, Murphy lightheartedly said, okay, this was the first time I've had dinner with Leah where the main topic of the conversation wasn't about her, what she wanted to do next creatively. I mean, I know it's kind of fun to rib people at a wedding, but that is so shady, and... If the next line is, a representative from Murphy said he was unavailable to comment for the story. <laughs> if I was Leah, I probably wouldn't be too happy that this is the story that Jonathan Groff chooses to share, when again, I feel like she's trying to portray herself in a good light here. Now, the next part is that there is this long-standing internet rumor that I liken to, you know, Poot Lovato the theory that Avril Levine is a body double that she died and a new woman has stepped in for her. I think that's partially because Avril Levine truly has not aged. She looks incredible. Um, but the rumor is that Leah Michelle is not literate and literally had to be fed her lines on set by Ryan Murphy. So the article says online hatred of her can verge on gleeful and she fears that if she responds to criticism or a bizarre rumor that she's illiterate, it will fuel the fire. She says, I went to glee every single day. I knew my lines every single day. And then there's a rumor online that I can't read or write. It's sad. It really is. I think often if I were a man, a lot of this wouldn't be the case. So again, she always skirts around this whole literacy it- Thing. and i think again i think it's this whole joke i don't even think it's a conspiracy theory more like it's it's a joke to me my, that's my reading of it so the fact that like that's how this article ends and her sort of being like oh it's sad i mean come on girl get a sense of humor about it i i just don't think this article did what she was probably hoping it would do and i think a lot of people who read it were still left with a bad taste in their mouth so i'm really excited to see how it goes for leah i know she's selling out the show way better than Beanie was. Like, it's making a lot of money with her as the lead. I think people are fascinated about the media circus around this. Again, this is why I think Don't Worry Darling is going to be huge because people want to see the behind the scenes. You know, they want to see what led to all of this to be. So I am excited to see reviews of Leah Michelle. I'm not, like, a big follower of Broadway stuff, but I enjoy it. I would love to see her in this. I've never seen uh, Funny Girl. So I – Again, I'm intrigued. Okay, we finally made it to our cut article of the day. And this article is Don't Mess With Megan by Ashley C. Ford. This is about Megan Thee Stallion. I loved Megan's quotes in this. And every time I'm reminded what Megan has been through, I'm literally just heartbroken to my core. And it's just it's just a lot for someone her age to have already experienced. And this article starts with this quote. Nice is fake. Playtime is over and all that nicey-nicey. That's done. I mean, Megan's cementing that she's moving into her villain era, but in a way that is hopefully kinder than what we're getting from Leah Michelle. So she has a new album dropping called Traumazine. At first, I thought this was like magazine Traumazine, but she's actually relating it to like the chemicals in our brain, like a dopamine, a serotonin. So she wanted to take a word that she'd been experiencing like trauma and blend it with that. And I think it's kind of a genius title. She goes on to say, when you're nice for so long and you don't ever really give too much back talk and nobody's ever seen you step out of character, they assume what your character is. They assume you're not going to stand up. That's when people start to try you. So, to summarize, uh, you know, Megan obviously over the years has climbed the charts. She's had huge hits, she's won Grammys, she's collaborated with huge stars. She, in all of that time, graduated with a bachelor's degree in health administration from Texas Southern U- University. And with all those highs, she's experienced the lowest of lows. In 2019, her mother died of a brain tumor, and her grandmother, who helped raise her, died soon after that. And her father passed away when she was only 15. So here she is in her mid 20s, not having any parents who are alive, and having to navigate all of this fame and success pretty much on her own. And then in the summer of 2020, literally just you know, less than a year after her mother died, she was injured in a shooting that led to surgery, physical therapy, and the sort of losses that come with betrayal. The assault trial for rapper Tori Lanez, who is accused of shooting at Megan's feet as she walked away from an argument, is set for September. And that's not her only legal battle she has going on. She's also spent years being sued and uh, suing and being countersued by 1501 Certified Entertainment, which was the independent record label that she signed with back in 2018. And she's arguing that her contractual obligations with them have been fulfilled. And she's also accused them of leaking songs from Traumazine before its release. And just as a note, Tori Lannis has pleaded not guilty and 1501 has denied any wrongdoing. But, you know, to be involved in one legal proceeding is very hard and disruptive to your life, let alone two. And especially with something as personal and heartbreaking and physically damaging as being shot by someone who was, she was allegedly in a relationship with at the time. So, her mother was named Holly Hollywood Thomas, and she was also a rapper and she managed Megan's early career in the music business. And I thought this quote was really heartbreaking. She says, Me and my mom had this good cop, bad cop thing going on when they would approach, you know, industry meetings. And so she would come in the room like, This is what we ain't doing, fuck that. And I'd be like, Okay, so guys, she means, and it says, She pantomimes a sweeter, calmer approach, showing me how she would translate her mother's assertiveness. But she says, now I don't have the luxury of having somebody who would be my bad cop. Now I have to be both. And I mean, just the burden of that and having to live with that, it's just a lot. And then I love this story where she talks about how she watched Dr. 90210 when she was little on E. And because of that, she wanted to become a plastic surgeon because the patients were always so happy after their procedures. And it was like, wouldn't it be nice to give that happiness to people? But then she realized she didn't want to cut anybody open. She just wanted to entertain them. And she looks up to legends like Queen Latifah and Ice Cube as an example of charting away Ford in Hollywood. She says, when I look at them, it inspires me to take it further than just music. I don't feel like I'm only gonna be an actress. I feel like I'm also going to be a director and I'm also gonna be a producer. And she talks about how she would love to star in a Bring It On reboot and step into Gabrielle Union's character. She says, I've always wanted to be ISIS. I would be perfect for that. If they were ever able to make a new Bring It On, I should be that character. And honestly, I am just so excited for Megan's acting career. I know she makes an appearance in She-Hulk, which I watched the first episode of and I'm into it. It's about the Hulk's cousin who's an attorney who also hulks out. And I think Megan will make an incredible actress because she acts in her music videos. And I just think she's a true, like, triple threat. She's so watchable. Like, you're just drawn to her when she's on the screen. And seeing her take on Gabrielle Union's role, I mean – it makes me, like, tingle inside with excitement. I literally cannot wait. It just has to happen. Okay, we've made it to our blind item of the day. Again, this is from Crazy Days a Night. Take it with a grain of salt. It's not journalism. But this one is just so on the nose, and I so agree with it, and I think it's real that I had to just – we had to put it in so we got miss leah michelle this from july 11th 2022 it says why yes it's intentional that this a-list actress is leaving her role two days prior to her former co-star joining the production and obviously the a-list actress leaving her role is jane lynch and it's prior to leah michelle joining funny girl and again i just believe that hook line and sinker i think it's true Okay, our legit shit of the day. It is the Briogeo Scalp Revival Charcoal and Coconut Oil Micro-Exfoliating Scalp Scrub Shampoo. I know that is a mouthful, and this is, again, expensive. And I've been sharing a lot of hair stuff lately because I also had the Whey hair mask on here, but I'm telling you, these two together... Oh, chef's kiss. This stuff smells amazing. It smells like mint chocolate chip ice cream. It feels like it would be gross because it, it's like gritty, and the idea of putting gritty stuff on your scalp just seems like you're going to have little gritties left in there. No, this stuff's amazing. I love to use it and then shampoo it with just a regular shampoo afterwards to make sure I got it all out. If you feel like you've had product buildup, if you have like scalp irritation, I struggle with like eczema, psoriasis on my scalp. It doesn't cure it or anything, but after I use this, it feels way lessened, less flaky. It feels so nice and It's just such a cool product. The texture of it's kind of whipped and I've never seen anything like it. I've tried to find dupes of it. I just don't think it exists. Please give this a try. If you can get like a little sample of it, I think you will love it too. Thank you guys so much for listening and I'll see you next week. Bye.